We come to Psalm 36, looking at the heading of Psalm 36, it can be seen that this uh, psalm was given to the chief musician for use in public worship. As for the one who wrote those 12 divinely inspired verses, it is given as David, the servant of the Lord. A lot of information just in that heading alone, and uh, it's good to appreciate that that heading is part of the inspired text. It's not just one of those headings that people have added into the Bible to make it a bit easier for us. Certainly, David served the Lord as the king of Israel. However, there's nothing in the psalm to indicate that he was already king when he wrote this psalm. He may have been. I'm not saying he wasn't the king, but we're not told that. We're simply told that David was the servant of the Lord. Primarily, David was a servant of the Lord. Why? Because he was trusting in the Lord for the forgiveness of his sins. We can see that very clearly in the Psalms, that David was someone who was trusting in God for a righteousness that was not his own. Look at Psalm 32, a Psalm of David, blessed is the man whose sins are covered, speaking of himself there. And if you belong to Jesus, having trusted in him for salvation, then you too are a servant of the Lord. Again, it doesn't really matter what your job is. You don't have to be a king or anything like that. The the very fact that you belong to Jesus, that makes you a servant of Jehovah God. For example, in a passage of scripture that highlights the superiority of the blood of Christ over the blood of sacrificial animals, it is written in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We are saved to serve if we belong to Jesus. Psalm 36 breaks up into various sections with verses 1 to 4 describing those who are not the servants of the Lord. They are said to be wicked. Looking first at verse 1, let's have a look at verse 1 again. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. In that verse, David, the servant of the Lord, observes the behaviour of the wicked or the ungodly. I'm guessing that all of you who read the Bible uh, will be familiar with the expression, thus saith the Lord. We see that quite a lot, don't we, in the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord. You ought to be very familiar with it if you read the scriptures. It, thus saith the Lord, appears over 400 times in the Bible. Verse 1 is similar, but also it's very different in as much as it is essentially saying, thus saith sin. Not thus saith the Lord, but thus saith sin. It is sin that is speaking in the heart of none other than David, the servant of the Lord. It's not an easy verse to understand. 
what was happening was that David was observing the words and the behaviour of the wicked and what he heard and what he saw was being confirmed by his own sinful heart. As the Bible commentator John Gill said, sin was in him and sin of the same kind and nature with the wicked man's. But he taking notice of and considering the wicked man's sinful course of life and his daring impieties conceived in his own mind and concluded from hence that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Similarly, another commentator said, he could not indeed look into their hearts, David couldn't look into their hearts, but he could look into his own. And there he found corruption so strong that were it not for the fear of God that was implanted within him, he would be as bad as they. As I say, verse 1 is not without its difficulties, but the explanation that I'm presenting to you ought to strike a chord in your own sinful heart, if indeed you are a servant of the Lord. That's the thing, isn't it? If you're not a servant of the Lord, if you don't belong to Jesus, you may actually think you are a really good sort. There's a lot of bad people out there, but you're not one of them. Well, but if you are a servant of the Lord, if you have been to Calvary and been washed with that precious blood of Christ, you know your heart, don't you? I know my heart more now, a lot more now than I did when I first became a Christian. And I can see what um, the commentators are saying there. And it seems, uh, and if indeed they have got it right with verse 1, it certainly strikes a chord with me. I get it. After all, even though you can't see into another person's heart, you can nevertheless hear and see the things that... Uh, you, you can see the things that he does, you can hear the things that he says, and your own sinful heart might well conclude that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Why does your heart tell you that? Why do you reach that conclusion? There go I, but for the grace of God, perhaps you say to yourself. It is written in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. By his ungodly words and conduct, you see him for what he is, that person. You observe him. Again, you cannot see into his heart, but you're watching, you're hearing. You see him for what he is, a fool who has no fear of God. And your own sinful heart tells you that very, very clearly. However, if you are a Christian, you do fear the God. That's the big difference between you and the wicked person in verse 1. The wicked person doesn't fear God, but you, as a servant of the Lord, you do fear God. And that is only because of the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ towards you. Now we come to the words and the conduct of those who have no fear of God, the wicked. Let's um, find out something about these people, reading verses 2 through to 4. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes, 
until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity, that's depravity, and deceit. He have left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. In verse 2, it is written that the ungodly man flatters himself. In verse 3, we see that he doesn't just say sinful things. His words are sin. As soon as he opens his mouth, sin proceeds from his mouth. Sin and deceit. There is absolutely nothing that the wicked person, the Christ-rejecting person, can say that will be pleasing in God's ears. Absolutely nothing at all. In verse 4, we see that the ungodly person is preoccupied, even in his bed, with how to further pursue his selfish and self-serving interests. He has no regard whatsoever for the glory of God. Inevitably, all who are not serving the Lord in humility, having acknowledged that they are hell-deserving sinners and having trusted entirely in the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ for their acceptance before God, these people are going to be self-flatterers. Anyone who is wicked in verse 1, anyone who fears not God is going to be a self-flatterer. The boastfulness, the pride, the egotism, the narcissism, the self-centeredness, blowing their own trumpet, exalting themselves. Am I describing the people of this world? I am, aren't I? This is a very apt and vivid description of the of this world. Exalting themselves, the self-serving and so on, that are by the grace of God largely kept under lock and key in the hearts of the servants of the Lord. I say largely kept under lock and key because even us Christians, we, we can't always resist those opportunities to have a bit of a boast about what we've done for the Lord or, or whatever it is. Or something nice that we've done. Some good deed. Uh, it's very difficult to be honest with people and not boastful. It is difficult because... It just seems that everything we do and say is going to be tainted by sin. Even as, even though as a Christian you are a sanctified sinner. But it's largely kept under lock and key, shall we say. And the servants of the Lord, the, all these, the boastfulness and the self-flattery and so on, it is by the grace of God being mortified as the Holy Spirit works in you and as he sanctifies you when you read the word of God and you meditate upon the Lord Jesus Christ, as you grow in grace, all these things will, by the grace of God, be mortified. But they are allowed to flourish and to be acted out in the lives of the ungodly people who have no fear of God. In Psalm 5, verse 9, David said of his enemies, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. <coughs> their throat is an open sepulchre or open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. 
David wasn't judging people, but he was stating a fact there. This is the condition of the ungodly. Let me just say it again from Psalm 5 verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth, their inward part is very wickedness, their throat is an open sepulchre, they flatter with their tongue. Similarly, the Apostle Paul said of all who are self-righteous instead of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and having his righteousness imputed to them, this is what Paul said, their throat is an open tomb, with their tongues they have practised deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Again, so clear, isn't it? So clear in this island, from our politicians to the very least of society. No fear of God. That really is a picture of all of you who do not exalt God, who alone is worthy of glory and honour and praise. If you do not fear God, you inevitably exalt yourself. You inevitably flatter yourself and you are inevitably going to be your own God. We're made to worship, aren't we? If we're not worshipping the only true God, then you would have to ask yourself, what are you worshipping? If you're not worshipping the creator, you're worshipping the creature and you're worshipping yourself. Now for something altogether much nicer. Having looked at the, 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 the ungodly, let's turn to verses 5 and 9, 5 through to 9, where we should consider the tender mercies of God. Verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens... And thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Can you see straight away how different it all is? It's all the word of God, and we need to read all of it. But um, how, I don't know about you, but how you drink in those verses that I've just read there, because they're all about the tender mercies of God. It's not about the wickedness of men. It's about God. And we really need to be focusing upon both. We see how wicked people are, how wicked we are. The heart is desperately wicked. But also we see in contrast to that how wonderful God is. We need both. And we've got it here in these verses in Psalm 36. Let's have a look at the tender mercies of God. In verse 5, it is written that the mercy or the kindness of God is in the heavens. In other words, God's mercy reaches the whole earth and it reaches all the creatures of the earth. 
coming down from the windows of heaven, his mercy reaches all of his creatures. He makes his sunrise on the evil and on the good. That means on those who have no fear of him. Foolish people. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. The Lord provides food for all his creatures. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet God feeds them. This is the birds of the air. Remember that, all of you who have no fear of God, it always gets me this, people who have no fear of God, who have no interest in the Saviour, When you enjoy your cake or your biscuit after the service or when you enjoy your next meal, remember who ultimately has provided you with that food. It's your maker, almighty God. And you do well to give thanks to him. In a very special way, God has poured out his grace and mercy from the windows of heaven upon all who have believed his beloved son, believed on his beloved son and received him. And he pours out his mercy in a very special way upon them. Along with David, such people can rightly say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And a big amen to that. Also in verse 5, let's have a look at verse 5 again. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. David said there, of the Lord, thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. That uh, sentiment, it's expressed in a chorus which has the words, I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to thee among the nations, for thy steadfast love is great, is great to the heavens, and thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness to the clouds. A lovely chorus. I wish we had that one in our supplement. It is a very precarious thing to trust in sinful man, and I say that for all the reasons that have already been considered. We really ought not to trust in man. People are self-serving, they're selfish and at the very least people will fail you for reasons outside of their control. So can you see, it's not, well you know, you know in your own experience people will let you down and you'll let people down as well. However, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have the word of God that tells us that. And God is not a man that he should lie. Isn't it amazing that for God all things are possible. And yet the scriptures tell us that God cannot lie. The only explanation I can give there is uh, that, that it goes against God's holy character to lie. He is truth. He is the Uh, the source of all truth. And so we can trust in the promises of God completely and utterly. 
God will never, ever um, let you down. If you, When you belong to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you read those wonderful promises in the scripture and you can claim them for yourself. Wonderful promises. Promises of what? Forgiveness of sins, all sins, not just some, but all. Even the sins that you're going to commit in before the day's out. Everlasting life. And a heavenly inheritance. Being with Jesus, all of these things. Guaranteed. Wonderful promises. However, be warned, all of you who have no fear of God, his faithfulness also extends to his judgment and damnation of unrepentant sinners. What that means is if that you hang on to your boasting, if you hang on to your self-flattery, if you continue to fear not the Lord, if you never cry out to God for mercy, if you never trust in Jesus, for forgiveness of your sins, you will perish. You can be sure of that. You will perish. In verse 6, David said, Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. We see that in verse 6 there. Let's consider the great mountains. They are clearly visible as they reach up to the sky. They are steadfast. They are firm. Likewise, the righteousness of the Lord, which is his sinless perfection, can be clearly seen in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. The righteousness of God we see clearly in his Son, Jesus All of you who have no fear of God, whatever righteousness you possess is a self-righteousness. That's all it is. And it is is as filthy rags before God. However, the good news is that all who belong to Jesus are clothed with what? With garments of salvation. You, dear Christian, servant of the Lord, you are clothed having been washed with his blood, clothed in garments of salvation, and he has given you a robe of righteousness. That is the righteousness of God, not your own worthless self-righteousness. In verse 7, David said, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Maybe you have seen weak, tiny and vulnerable chicks taking refuge under their mother's wings. And not just their wings, and they dis- seem to disappear under every part of their mother's body, don't they? These little chicks, uh, when you frighten them, they just a whole bunch of them just disappear under their mum. Likewise, there is a place where all have broken, all who have broken and contrite hearts can rest, be refreshed, and be protected from the eternal consequences of what? Of sin. And that is under the shadow of God's wings. That's the only place 
where you can be be protected from the consequences of your self-flattery and sin, generally, under the wings of God. When Jesus was in the world, God's old covenant people, the Jews, having already beaten and killed the prophets who were sent to them, received him not. They received not the Lord Jesus Christ. Consequently, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus speaking to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 2,000 years have passed by, nothing has changed. And we move on from the just the uh, inhabitants of Jerusalem, we look at the world as a whole. Don't be foolish, don't be hard-hearted. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Take refuge under the shadow of his wings. There's no better place for you. Taking refuge in Jesus. I can't understand why no one, why there be anyone who would want to continue another day not hiding under the shadow of the wings of Jesus, taking refuge in him and continuing to exalt self. If there's anyone in here who is still like that, my God, give you the grace to see inside your own heart and your own frailties and your sin, your depravity and your need for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, your need for a righteousness that is not your own. May God open your eyes to see the holiness of God, to see Jesus in all his beauty, to receive him as your Lord, your God. Let's have a look at verses 8 and 9. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures, for with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. If you are someone who has taken refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the grace of God there are a good number in here that have done just that, then you shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of his house and he shall make you drink of the waters of his pleasure. Not your house, not your pleasures, but his house, his pleasures. Again, it's much better, isn't it, when it's uh, the Lord and not us. Surely that is a picture of being fully blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ, taking refuge under the shadow of his wings. Those blessings are not reserved for heaven, by the way. They are for now. They are the portion of all who are in Christ, all his redeemed right now. All those wonderful things that we read in verses 8 and 9. Dear Christian, You are not yet in heaven, but you already are in the household of God. 
And this world is not your home. In the household of God, you have an abundance of the very best food. Right now, an abundance of the best food. For you have Jesus, who has declared himself to be what? The bread of life. John chapter 6. Also, Jesus has said that he is the living bread that came down from heaven. Do you feed upon Jesus, the living bread? Feed upon him. Feast upon him. As you read and meditate upon the scriptures, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you as you feast upon Christ. Note also that you shall drink of the river of his pleasures. You, have a look at it, just have a look at those verses again. Uh, Yeah, verse 8. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou, this is the Lord, thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. I really love that. The Lord shall make you drink of the river of thy of his pleasures. He shall make me drink of the rivers of his pleasures. That's why you will drink of the river of not your pleasures, but his pleasures. Because he will make you do so. The Lord, that's, that says, that speaks volumes of the love of God towards the servants of the Lord, that he shall make you. He knows you, he knows your feeble frame, he knows mine. So what does he do? He makes us drink of the waters of his pleasures. That reminds me of Psalm 23 where David said of the Lord his shepherd, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I I just love those verses. and it, It makes me think of a shepherd making his sheep lie down in those lovely lush green pastures and the Lord makes his servants, his sheep, lie down in green pastures and he makes them drink of the river of his pleasures. The Lord does these things. Dear Christian, thank God that he t- that God uh, that God takes the initiative that he makes you drink of the water, the river of his pleasures because you would not do so of your own accord. I trust you realize that as a Christian. Even as Christian for 20, 30, 40 years or more, you would not do so of your own accord. The Lord makes you Instead, like a dog returning to its vomit, you would return to your own, to your sinful ways, forsaking God and not fearing Him if it were not for God's continual flow of grace and mercy, that loving kindness being poured out from heaven and into you and God working in you and making you drink from the rivers of His pleasure. Finally, I wonder, are you, are you someone who is still in verses 1 to 4? Do you remember 1 to 4? Those verses describe the ungodly, the wicked person, the person who does not fear God, the very opposite of the one who is a servant of the Lord. Is that still you up in verses 1 to 4? 
Do you still flatter yourself? Do you still, do you still speak words that are iniquity and deceit? Then don't you think it's about time that you cast yourself upon the mercy and the grace of God? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? May God bring you low to the end that you cry out to him for mercy and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. To the end that you too will be a servant of the Lord, that you will fear him and that you will live a born again life for his glory, drinking from the rivers of his pleasure because he will make you do so. Amen.